This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Welcome back. We are talking in class with Dr. Gray Carr. We're in class with Carr, hashtag in class with Carr. It's funny because I've been talking for the last couple of weeks about this Henry Bibb fella. And then you yes. asked me, why did I want you to talk about him? And I couldn't remember. <laughs> couldn't remember. Because, yes. <laughs> you know, the, the brain is weird. All right. But then I was like, he was born in 1815, right? Yes. On a plantation yes. in Kentucky. And yes. somehow he rose to become this, this wealthy uh, owner of a newspaper. 1815 is, is a long way from emancipation. Oh, so no my, question. My question to you is, how did he get free? Henry Bibb. That's a good question. You, some people might argue that he, he was never completely free. He spent his life trying to get free. But um, when you asked me about Henry Bibb, um, I thought about it immediately after we talked and I said, wow, that's a great person to talk about. Because Henry Bibb does represent what you said. You know, I ask my students often, I say, when do you think Black people started resisting enslavement. People, some people might say the Civil War, and they say, oh, well, you know, that was Stono, and then some people get, you know, they read the lessons, so they read the book, and they'll say something like, well, you know, they've been resisting since the 17th century. I said, Black resistance to enslavement started when the first person who probably looked like us put their hands on somebody and said, come with me. <laughs> In other words, no, it's not a game of tag. You're a slave. Okay, I'm coming with you. No, right. resistance right, is right, 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 right. You know what I'm right. right. One of the reasons why they had to have so this idea of the patrol of the slave patrol was, in other words, the idea that any white person, and we're seeing it now with your brother in Georgia or the sister in Louisville, you know, any random white person has the right to try to exert control over a black woman or a black man or a black girl or a black boy's body. The reason that begins is because. Black people are not going to submit to enslavement. You better get everybody who look like you to try to stop us. Because the minute you turn your head, you look around, oh, no, Reese is gone. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> the, minute, right. the minute you say, okay, I'm going in for the night, you wake up in the morning, the field's on fire, the cows are gone, and Sambo is in Canada. In other words, right. we're never going to stop. <laughs> you know right. Bibb is an incredible example of that. Henry Bibb. As you say, born in, born in Kentucky, Shelby County, Kentucky. Uh, his mother's enslaved, but his father, he never know, white dude. A white dude, and not just any white dude, he's a state senator. James Bibb in Kentucky. This is apocryphal almost. It's almost like they're saying, we're not sure. Nah, you know who it is. You know who it is. Bibb. And his last uh, name is Bibb. <laughs> Bibb, come on. Exactly. Come on now. You're not going to deny. Oh, my God. But here's the fascinating thing about Henry Bibb. Henry Bibb, 1815, as you say. Now, what's going on in 1815 in the United States? Uh, the War of 1812 has just ended. The British come back for the rematch. Kentucky's a border state, and they've got to go west. They're still trying to go west. In, in fact, what's between Kentucky and the Pacific Ocean? Everybody who was there before any of us came over here, the First Nations, our, our blood kin, the Native Americans. So you ain't subdued them yet. You're still talking about east of the Mississippi. So this slavery thing is still working itself out as part of the settler project we eventually call the United States. Bibb is born in a, in a state that's real tricky because, of course, between Kentucky and Ohio is the Ohio River. 
Anybody ever been in Northern Kentucky know how that's set up. In fact, go read Beloved, Toni Morrison, or the true story that that's based on, the story of Margaret Garner and the Ohio River. You can, and, and many times uh, I was at Ohio State, I drive home to Nashville, come through Louisville, and you come down that road, 65, and then 70 to 65, and you see, when you cross Cincinnati, you come into Covington, Kentucky. You can see Cincinnati, downtown Cincinnati from Covington. It's right there. So the whole idea for Black people was, if we can get across this Ohio River, we can get free. Because if we can get to Ohio, now they got a network of underground railroad networks, and we'll just keep going till we're free. Henry Bibb, this Negro, tried to escape so many times. <laughs> they sold him, he tried to escape. They tried to, he tried to escape. He ends up on a plantation with the woman who he marries during enslavement. Of course, it's illegal in Kentucky, so they let him be, they call him common law. But one of the reasons why some of the, plant, the plantation owners like, you know what, let him get married. Why? Because if he marry her and they have a child, maybe he's he won't run. Stay. Right. He runs anyway. <laughs> and he don't tell the wife and don't tell the child. But here's why he keeps getting caught. Every time Bill escape, he come back to get somebody. He's going to come get his wife. Right. He's oh, that's why I wanted to bring him up. Before yes. Harriet Tubman, is. this is what we we have. You know, Harriet Tubman, great Moses, black Moses, beautiful. She wasn't the first to come back. No. And that's why. And thank you. For, this is why I talk to you. I, I forget don't stuff. Make no, mistakes. no, Henry Bibb. <laughs> Before there was Harriet Tubman, there was Henry Bibb. Yes. And and the notion of this man being free and continuously coming back speaks about this thing that you and I, I, I believe, are embarking upon right now. Yes. It's not okay that you and I are free. It's a no. lonely prospect to be free and not have everybody with you. And I know That's everybody's right. not going to come, Dr. Carr. Right. But damn it, we're going to have to try. Yeah. Because Cause you, keep, you keep coming back. Got to keep coming back. You come back every day and on the weekends, too. We're on the weekends. You still we're on coming the, back. On a Saturday and we're still here. That's right. And so how many times did he, did he try to come back and, and get caught? Got caught? Roughly Crazy. speaking, about a, about, about, about a half dozen times. And here's where it's a mess. Crazy. Because Bill, this was about 1833, 34. That's when he gets into common law marriage. Um, Melinda. Mm -hmm. Linda was his wife's name. Your brain, man. Yes, no, no, her no, name it's, is no it's important enough because, because the thing is, everybody can read this. This is one of the ones where you don't have to send off to buy the book. Henry Bibb's narrative is available. You can look on the internet and find it's the free. narrative of Henry Bibb. It's a, it's it's a public free. domain work, right? That's exactly right. This is a public domain work. Actually, he publishes, I think, 1849, he publishes the uh, narrative about, of Henry Bibb. So he published a book about his life. Oh, well, yeah, but, but to, to get there, here's the thing he keeps coming back, they catch him. They put him in the slave prison one time. They, they catch him coming back for his wife one time. They're going to they sell him down further south. He negotiates to be sold with his wife and children so they can all be together. The, the thing about enslavement is because we don't get a chance to study it, we don't understand that it is a human institution. It was the most brutal institution, but you got black people in this institution who are busting their ass. They, how you going to be in the 1830s negotiating with the cat that caught you to say, no, if you're going to sell me, sell my wife and children with us. In other words, what, you, what kind of left? There's no rights. Right. None. <laughs> he right. Was saying, and, and yet and still, and yet, right. he does it. Right? Eventually, he slips away. December 1837, he makes the break again. He doesn't tell him. He keeps going. It's breaking his heart, but he keeps going. This is going to be very important. Here's where the thing goes crazy. 
he go in fact let's bring in a brother who i know you know her boy fellow journalist yes, right her yes, boy wrote a book called black detroit henry bibb ends up in detroit bibb is in detroit bibb writes a narrative of his life bibb never goes to school in his life except two weeks there's a black dude in detroit who has a school bibb goes there for two weeks he ends up being one of the great orators when henry during henry bibb's time he was mentioned in the same breath as Frederick Douglass. They, in fact, the reports would say, Bill could tell you a story about the brutality of slavery that would have you laughing at one moment, mad at one moment, and crying in the next moment. Bill was like, but Bill's whole thing was, I think we might have to leave this godforsaken country. We got to separate. We have to have our own thing because they're never going to stop. Meanwhile, he keeps going back. Eventually, several of his brothers escape. So that in other words, Kentucky is right there. That's why, and, and again, for mm. folks who are Tony Morrison fans, like all of us should be, remember in Beloved, the sister got to make a choice. That if we can't make it physically, I'm going to send these babies back to their ancestors, I'm going to let them come back to you. That is the tortured soul wow. at the heart. And remember, baby Seba comes back. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The ancestor comes back like, whoa, wait a minute. What did you do? These are the painful choices they got. Can you imagine Henry Bibb? Can you imagine his wife, his children? What's mm -hmm. going on? So anyway, then the thing changes. Here's the issue. Now it's 1850. Bibb's living in Detroit. Now anybody from Detroit, all of your viewers and listeners who for years have followed you, parents, rebels, everybody you know who's in the Midwest, y'all know, especially y'all, uh, those you got grandma in them, you know what them Negroes do in Detroit on the weekend. They go across the river to gamble at the casino because Canada, Ontario, is right across the water from Detroit. Y'all know Detroiters know how y'all do. So, in 1850, California applies to be a state. They want to be admitted into the Union. Now, mind you, we are still a decade away from the Civil War, and the South don't want nobody coming in who's not a slave state because they want to keep slavery going all the way to the West Coast. Remember them, uh, those hillbillies ran out there and what they want, they want to start their own country. They wanted to call it the Republic of Texas. To this day, Texas has one star in its flag. Why? Because they said, we're making this the Republic of Texas. The Lone That's Star State. Mm -hmm. That's the Lone Star State. But it becomes a state because after Santa Ana and the Mexicans is like, let's just kill them. So in San Antonio at the Alamo, they serve them, Sam Houston, Stephen A. Austin, Davy Crockett. Now, this is wiped them out. The United States government comes in during the 1840s, the Mexican War, and says, we're going to rescue you all. And Texas comes in as a slave state. But guess what? The rule is, if you bring in a slave state in the gotta South. Got to have a free one. You got to have a free. Exactly right. California's on the West Coast. They now got designs to wipe the entire continent and build the settler country called the United States of America. 1850, California comes in. Guess what? Don't have a free state to bring in. So they reach a compromise. The compromise, which replaces the compromise they reached in 1820, which known as the Missouri Compromise. The compromise- The Missouri, the Missouri was Compromise was for every Slave state, there has to be a free state. Exactly. That's the Missouri And they compromise. drew the line, the 36-30 oh. parallel. Anything come below here, slave. Right. Anything come above here is free. Okay. But now, California, the they don't have a slave compromise. Uh, okay. they, they don't have a state to bring in. So this is the compromise that allows them to come in. Because remember, the South, then and now, often controls the federal elections. Because they, you, if you don't get the South, you better get everything but the South. It's very important. So here's the compromise. 
the United States Congress passes and the president signs something called the Fugitive Slave Act. The Fugitive Slave Act says if they catch you anywhere in the United States of America and the person says that you were a slave and you escaped, that means that you can be returned to slavery. 1850 makes the entire country unsafe. Because remember- For, for black people. Because, for black people. Because they were also capturing people who were free. Like Samuel oh, no Samuel from, from 12 Years a Slave. From 12 That's a years true a slave. story. The book is Connected. better than the movie. Let me just say that. The book, they were snatching people up and right. putting them back into bondage. Putting That's them exactly into bondage. Right. People who had never been born into bondage. That's so right. So it was That's unsafe right. for all black people. After it was always unsafe. And, and, and everybody listening, please pay very specific attention to what Professor Hunter just said, what Karen just said. You weren't safe in the United States anyway, as you said. Yeah, 12 Years a Slave, you know, I'm not a big Steve McQueen fan anyway, but the book, read Solomon Northrop's Odyssey. As you say, Northrop's in New York. He, this man playing the fellow, next thing you know, he's in Louisiana, bro. They got him in a slave prison in Alexandria, Virginia, across the river here from D.C. Next thing you know, he in Louisiana for 12 straight years. What happened? You're not safe. But in 1850, oh, now it's worse. Somebody knock on your door like Henry Highland Garnett who was another contemporary of Henry Bibb and Martin Delaney and Harriet Tubman and all them. Garnett was a young boy. He was working out of New York City on the ships. He came home one day, found out the so-called paddle rollers, the slave catchers that knocked on his door, asking his daddy for papers. They chased them all out the house. His family gets sold back into slavery. But the whole thing is, even if you got papers, to, to, to the point you're raising, Karen, they don't care. They right. snatching everybody in because Philly. Of, down because, there of Dred Scott, because of Dred Scott? 1857, there it is. Seven years after the Fugitive Slave Law, Dred and Harriet Scott, their two children, Dred and Harriet Scott are in Fort Schnelling in Minnesota, the upper Mississippi. You can't go no further north than going into Canada. That is a free territory. They come back into Missouri, slave state. Dred and Harriet Scott, sue for their freedom. The Supreme Court said, hold on, Chief. There's two types of citizenship in America. One, you're a citizen of a state. The other, you're a citizen of the United States. This is the legal fiction that persists to this day. This is why this COVID-19 thing is such a mess. How the hell are you gonna be a citizen of the United States and not a citizen of a state, but I'm living in a state? Oh, don't worry about it. This, we're doing this to establish, to Tani's point, that everybody black knows, if they know anything about Dred Scott, when they say a, a black person don't have any rights, a white person is bound to respect, that means that if you are in a free state like Maine or New York by now, or somebody's other, if you are in a free state and I come up to you and say, where are your papers, Hunter? And you say, well, I ain't got no papers because I, I, I ain't never been no slave. Come with me, Hunter. And they take you and you in Alabama or Mississippi. What Tani is saying is Supreme Court says there are no rights that you have, Negro, in any state you're in that trump the rights of the federal government. And if y'all want to put it in 2020 terms, ask yourself this question. Mm. All these people talking about states' rights and all these people talking about yelling at state capitals, we want freedom and all this kind of thing. At what point do they decide that the rights of a state are trumped by the United States? The Fugitive Slave Law. 
fugitive slaves law, the fugitive slave law ain't no states' rights thing. Shouldn't you, if you were for states' rights, shouldn't you be for states' rights in Michigan? If they say I'm in Michigan, it's a free state, you can't come up here. Oh no, you you wanted the federal government to invade when they were snatching black people out of one state and taking them somewhere else. So it's very important to understand as a legal principle. Henry Bibb, after the fugitive slave act, Bibb is like, told y'all, deuces. Bill moves to Canada. <laughs> Bill say no place safe. In fact, I love it. We know the Iron Curtain from World War II. These Negroes in the abolitionist movement, they call it the Cotton Curtain. <laughs> they say, we're not going to live beneath the Cotton Curtain. And after 1850, they say that Cotton Curtain is inching north. It's really south of the American border. So now he's in Canada. And mind you, Henry Bill, as you say, born in 1815, he only lives to 1854. So when you add, you know, Bib dies before his 40th birthday. In fact, he's 39, same as yes. Martin, same as Malcolm. He's in wow. his late 30s. Wow. He's in Canada duking it out with other black people who moved over there. None more important than another incredible journalist. Woman had a law degree from Howard University, Mary Ann Shad Carey. Mary Ann Shad Carey. Why don't I know that name? Mary <laughs> oh, Ann. No, that, <laughs> Oh my Shad, God, we're gonna have to do a whole thing. Mary oh yeah, Ann Shad Shad S H A D D Carey C A R Y, Mary Ann Shad Carey. Oh, you gonna love her. Another G, Mary Ann Shad Carey. Mind you, this is the generation before Ida Bell Wells. She's got a newspaper. Mary Ann Shad Carey is like, look, I'm an integrationist. I think black people can live with white people, but I think we need to have all our rights. So that's her position. And meanwhile, you got our man saying, Bibb's like, yeah, I don't think we need to be living with black people, with white people. We need to have our own black towns. Then he starts that newspaper, The Voice of the Fugitive. <laughs> he said, we are fugitives. Then he, then he starts an organization he heads called the Refugee, um, the Refugee Society. So they're looking at enslaved people. Like we see now, we see people, people fighting immigration, deportation. Fighting, say, These are immigrants versus black people. No, go study. There was a time when our people looked at enslavement and looked at our condition, and we called ourselves refugees. And so he says, if you can get to Canada, you join us. We're in the Refugee Association. Another thing, and my friend Cheryl LaRoche wrote a book about this, actually uh, talking about free societies in the Midwest. Remember, we talked about Kentucky, where Bill was born. Ohio, if you get to Ohio, you might have a chance. All through the Midwest. Time back to your AME church roots. Thinking about your father, Allen University, uh, Dave Chappelle's grandfather. The AME church, which is established on the East Coast out of Philly, Richard and Sarah Allen, uh, the first bishop of the AME church, Richard Allen. The second bishop of the AME church uh, is out of South Carolina. He's named Morris Brown, the only school in Atlanta University Center named for a black person, Morris Brown. And if you've ever been to Allen or ever been to Metropolitan AME Church, if you look in the stained glass windows of the AME Church and the AME Church schools, they name all those bishops. And you see the names of these institution yes. builders. Morris Brown, the great Paul Quinn, Paul Quinn College, still in Texas, Richard Allen, Allen University in South Carolina. At any rate, when they, they start on the East Coast, then Paul Quinn and others move out to the Midwest. They set up these little AME churches. They set up these little AME churches and these little black places. Those places double as stations on the Underground Railroad. So was, there's this. I was just talking. You know, we, we have these debates about the church, you know, the yes. power of the church. And we yes. should have a conversation about that uh, another time. But yes. I can never disrespect the church because as an institution, it had a purpose. And I wish yes. we would get back to it. 
That's right. And I wish we would get back to it. They were powerful, right. powerful building blocks for us. They and were. They were. I don't know how they lost their way. I don't know what happened. Some of it is uh, some of it is amnesia. The thing you're hearing now, the thing we're talking about now, when you don't remember, you may act differently. And then mm -hmm. some of them maintain that independence. The AME Church has been an institution that has been unwavering in some ways, but then they have other issues. But 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 one thing's for sure, as you're saying, we have to study the black church differently. We can't begin with the music and the mega church and the gospel prosperity. No, you got to go back. Because if it weren't for the AME church, a lot of people wouldn't have escaped an underground railroad. Henry Bibb wouldn't have been helped in the same way. You wouldn't have seen that Midwest thrust through Ohio and Michigan. They wouldn't have gotten there. And, and so you have to go back to that. Um, in fact, the, the roots of the AME church, in fact, it's, like I said, it's a conversation for another day, but the Free African Society in Philadelphia, 1787, it is Sarah Allen and Richard Allen and those people congregated around that what become the AME church that helped intervene in the yellow fever epidemic of Philadelphia. In other words, I mean, so we're talking about coronavirus. Wow. Go back to the church. <laughs> and these black people who are in harm's way, the essential workers of the 18th century, if you will, who mm. are in the way. And Philadelphia says, you know what, if it weren't for these Negroes, we wouldn't have had no city. I mean, it's very important to understand black institutions. So Bill, Bill is in Canada. It's 1850 now, after 1850. He spends the last four years of his life building those independent institutions. And it's very important then to understand. But that's why I mentioned Herb Boyd, because Boyd writes about that debate in Black Detroit. But it's important to understand then that Bill, arguing with Mary Ann Shad Carey, also arguing with, but also supporting one of his great friends. And I think this is a brother who we really need to study a lot more, the great Martin Robeson Delaney. Martin Delaney was on the side of building black institutions. In fact, Frederick Douglass and Martin Delaney were partners on the North Star newspaper. We know the name Frederick Douglass, but what we don't know is that Martin Delaney, in fact, Douglass said this about Delaney. Douglass said, you know, every day I get up and thank God he made me a man. And then, but he says every day Delaney gets up, he thanks God he made him a black man. <laughs> that was it. Delaney was always race first. Delaney went to Africa. He went looking for play. He told the Nigerians, you know what? We can grow cotton over here and corner the cotton market. This is 1859. This is before wow. the Civil War jumps out. So, so Bibb is part of this argument over what Black people should do. And by the time he draws his last breath in Ontario, Canada, Henry Bibb has become, with Josiah Henson and Mary Ann Shad Carey and all the people who, if you want to read more about them, you can read, there's a five volume set called The Black Abolitionist Papers. It was edited by Peter Ripley. Interestingly enough, Ripley was aided over the years by a sister named Dorothy Porter Wesley, because she knew where all the documents were. But at any rate, if you, if you read that. The Black Abolitionist Papers, if you read Carter G. Woodson, he edited a book called The Mind of the Negro as revealed in his letters. He did another big book called Negro Orators and Their Oratory. You can read the speeches of Bibb and Delaney and Shad. You can read the newspaper articles of all these people. And you see, not in, not in 2020, not in the 1970s or 60s, not in the Harlem Renaissance New Negro of the 1920s, but in the 1840s and 50s, they're debating, should we leave? Should we go to Africa? Should we go to Haiti? His friend Bishop J James Theodore Holly says, let's just go to Haiti. We can get to Haiti. And he moves to Haiti. Should we go to Canada? Some of them say, we're going to stay here. But if we're going to stay here, damn it, we're going to be free. That's Frederick Douglass. And so Bibb operates in that field of Black abolitionists, and he's a name that more of us should know. And because you decided that we should talk about him in this piece, 
I think now more people are going to be like, you know what? I got to go read Henry Bibb's narrative. So I appreciate right. you bringing him up. Listen, um, I actually read, I have a young lady from Howard, uh, Shayla, who's writing for me in the hub, the hub.news, which is, I, I just, you know, Juneteenth, a couple of years ago, I decided I wanted us to have a, a, an outlet for, in my mind, black diaspora news, right? Stuff yeah, that's going yes. on. And yes. now it's turned into like history pieces. So she wrote a piece about Henry Bibb. And I was like, <gasps> so there was someone before, before Harriet Tubman. Yeah. I was like, so I, I sent you a text. I was like, we got to talk about him. And then I forgot why until you brought it up. So <laughs> let me, let me it's thank beautiful. you. You know, this is, no. this is important. And again, you know, we're putting breadcrumbs. Hopefully, you know, folks, if you're interested, you're going to do the work and, and read up on your own. These are just, you know, bricks, foundational pieces, maybe some cornerstones. But we got to do the work to build the rest of it in and not leave it yes. complete. Oh, but Karen, I should mention this. I, I, I just, it remind me, because again, I'm going just from memory. Peter Ripley's uh, five volumes, the Black Abolitionist Papers, there's a one volume piece you can get to kind of summarize, not summarizing, condenses some of the more important ones. But it wasn't Ripley. It was Howard Bell, who was a generation before Peter Ripley, who edited a book on the Negro convention movements of the 1840s. That was the one that Miss Porter helped. But of course, the librarians need to do I just want to make that correction, because I hope somebody watching this will say, no, nah, I wasn't Ripley, it was Bell. Because again, we got to engage each other in this conversation. Yeah. So thank and you. Listen, I mean, and that's part of the discourse. You know, it's not about being right either. Right. It's about learning. You know, I'm reading now all of these conventions that Black people had to talk about Black power. Because, you know, yes. we just think it started with, you know, in, 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 this, in 1960s or 1950s, or, you know, the right. Civil Rights Movement or the Black Panther Party. No, we, we've been having conventions. It wasn't just W.E.B. and, and no. Booker T. and no. There have been people, Nanny Helen Burroughs or whatever, there have been people talking about this for since, since before we got here. And I want to take That's some right. of this conversation across the continent and not just in Egypt. Okay. Before yeah, Egypt. Of course. Before Very Egypt, important. there were Nubians doing, like right. e Egyptians were informed by, the, you know how the Bible says this person begat, this person begat. Let's go back okay. to the begat, the first begat. Begat. <laughs> yes. You know, yes. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm so, I, I, I texted you, I'm so giddy. You know, I, I look <laughs> forward to Saturday because I'm like, Me I'm too. about to learn some stuff and I'm so grateful. And I got like Me excited too. last night. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna be talking to Dr. Great Carr today. So let me just thank you for- uh, I, I share that giddiness and that enthusiasm. Thank you because I just, I'm excited not only the prospects of what we're doing, oh. this is what you're gonna do. We need an army. So I'm getting, to, I'm right with you. <laughs> uh, I, I agree, I agree. All right, y'all subscribe, subscribe Please. to this channel, like it, give us a thumbs up. And uh, we'll keep doing it as long as we got breath in our body. So let me Indeed. just say that. And we need to have breath in our body, at least for the next hundred years. I'm, I'm yes. claiming that. We need a hundred years of good health, great car to keep doing this. Because I don't think there's enough time in the day. hundred no. more years we need. All right. Thank you. Hundred more years. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Thank we'll you. be back next time.